Welcome to Media Matchup. I'm Phoebe. And I'm Gigi. We are undergraduate communication studies scholars looking to explore various comparisons within popular film and television. Throughout our undergraduate studies, we've taken a special interest in understanding how film and television both reflect and perpetuate oppressive norms and values in society to draw out meaning that may or may not be immediately apparent and to challenge the status quo. Yes, and as we've explored in our past episodes, uh, we know that media criticism isn't tied down to one thing. It is many, many things, and it is relatively new in communication studies. Therefore, we want to take you on our continuous journey uh, navigating this uncharted territory. So in today's episodes, we will compare and contrast the television shows Glee and Sex Education, And the general topics that we will be looking at are representations of queer teenagers, portrayals of sexual encounters, and high school tropes in click dynamics. So these shows similarly follow the many stories of a quirky group of teenagers in high school. While they both follow a similar storyline of teenagers grappling with their coming of age, in this high school setting. One takes place in England in 2020 approximately. Mm -hmm. They don't specify the exact timeline, but we're meant to assume that it's at the time that we are watching it essentially. Exactly. And the other takes place at a high school in the US in around 2010. Like the 2010s marks the era of Glee. Yes, yes. yes. Uh, And Glee, with a total of six seasons airing from um, 2009 to 2015, has won four Golden Globes uh, with another 81 award wins and 210 nominations. Wow. Wow. Shocking Uh, numbers. Shocking numbers. Large numbers. Uh, And Sex Education is currently streaming on Netflix with a third season coming soon. Exciting. As well as received high praise, receiving six wins, some being uh, BAFTA and 23 nominations. Um, And Sex Education is uh, relatively new, uh, still um, coming out with seasons. Sure, sure. Uh, But overall, both television shows are clearly worthy of study. Definitely. (laughs) So Phoebe, I'm curious to know what you make of both of these shows, just your own personal thoughts and opinions. Yes. Uh, Well, thank you, Gigi. Um, I would say uh, if we were to compare the two as to which I liked better, Mm -hmm. I would probably say Sex Education. Yeah. Um, It is just a little bit more, uh, I would argue a little different from other teen genre shows Mm -hmm. that I've seen. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, going back and watching Glee, although iconic for its time, uh, watching it now, it is a little uh, dated, in my opinion. Definitely, definitely. I will say, I remember loving Glee at the time, being Mm -hmm. in middle school, early high school, and just yeah. really enjoying what they had to show me, what they, what <laughs> stories they had to share with me. Yes. Um, but certainly in the in the second time around, or to be honest, I think I had watched it multiple times <laughs> even prior prior so, to, to having to watch for this. In the, but in this in this, this time, time around, <laughs> um, yeah, it's definitely I don't want to say less enjoyable. Um, but it it hasn't aged well in my yeah, opinion. Yeah. And I do think like 
part of the reason that these TV shows stuck out to me as uh, two comparable shows was because I remember at the time, and of course, you know, my 12 year old perception of this is different. We we need, yes, exactly. Keep in mind that I was a child (laughs) at the time, but I do remember thinking like, oh, this is cool that they are trying to explore these topics, these topics and these stories, um, and doing their best to be like honest or trying Mm -hmm. to, explore things that um maybe we'd seen before but are they were definitely pushing the envelope for sure. at the time As, I would say no yeah especially for primetime television right and um, so you know I would say that in my viewing of sex education in the first time through I remember feeling like wow it's fantastic how candid and honest a lot of these um storylines are yeah. and and our characters and and just what we are shown for sure um and it does make me wonder like 10 years down the line am I am going I to gonna... look at sex education and feel like Ooh, that's that's, an that's not sitting quite right anymore <laughs> yeah. and I mean I I wouldn't suspect that that will happen but I don't think that I suspected that would have happened with Glee exactly so you never know only time will tell only time will tell I when I was re-watching the pilot for this podcast of Glee I was taken aback to when I saw the pilot after it aired after the Super Bowl like I had a moment where I was like 12 years old again (laughs) watching that show and you know Um, not to get too meta right now (laughs) but I feel like the collective consciousness around these kinds of topics or like looking at Glee Mm -hmm. and thinking at the time like wow they're featuring gay relationships and like giving them such a pat on the back for that and I feel like the collective consciousness is is has been raised in the last decade to the point where most people are capable of looking back at it and being like that actually wasn't as (laughs) um groundbreaking or like uh maybe Maybe it was still groundbreaking, but you get but what I'm no, saying. Yeah, that it doesn't yeah, it, it doesn't necessarily feel like they're really doing that do doing that much good for the community. <laughs> um as it did seem like at the time. Exactly, yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I feel like it's because of these kinds of conversations for that sure. we've that we've come so far, you know, and that yeah. people are are taking the time to reflect on what it is that we're consuming. So that's why I was saying, I don't want to get too meta here Oh no, with, yeah. you know, but... us having these kinds of conversations. But I do think that it is because no. in, in part, because of these kinds of conversations that people become more, more aware. aware. Exactly. Yeah, I would totally agree. No, the meta was good. Jamie. Okay. Wonderful. <laughs> um, so before we jump into further analysis, we do want to give a brief overview of each of these shows to provide some background on our respective settings and characters. So Glee introduces us to a misfit group of Glee Club members navigating the hallways of William McKinley High School in a small town in Ohio. Our main characters, Rachel, Finn, Kurt, Mercedes, among others, seek guidance, both creatively and personally, from their Glee Club teacher, Mr. Schuster, as they find their way through tough matters of the heart, family drama, and the search for identity. I will also just throw in here, yes, I feel do. like a, a you know, main part of Glee is Mr. Schuster. 
And at the time, I don't feel like I perceived how weird and like cringy he is, (laughs) but absolutely this time around, I was like, Mr. Schuster is so weird and cringy. Yeah, no, Mr. Schuster, there's a lot to unpack with Mr. Schuster, as well as um, the other teachers. Um, We've got Sue Sylvester. Absolutely. um, Yeah, which we will dive into later. Yes. Um, Sex education, on the other hand, introduces us to Otis, an awkward high schooler, yet self-proclaimed sex consultant to his peers, as he has picked up bits of information here and there, learning from his mother, Jean Milburn, highly praised sex therapist. Um, And we follow Otis's day-to-day life, as well as Eric, Maeve, Adam, Ola, among um, others through their high school glory days, coming to terms with their sexual identities, family relationships, and sense of self. So now that we have a better idea of these worlds that we are delving into, we will examine how similar themes of representations of queer teenagers, portrayals of sexual encounters between young adults in high school, and the click dynamics of so-called high school social hierarchies through the depictions of various tropes in these television shows. So throughout this episode, we will discuss these topics as they relate to the shows, as well as their application to real life and Finally, we will also cover the greater implications. Yes. So first up, um, I want to dive into the topic of representation of queer teenagers, uh, which uh, we kind of explore mainly with the characters Kurt in Glee and Eric in Sex Education. But there are many storylines that we can kind of talk about. Yes. uh, And I think this is a fine time to explain that although we have previously covered only the first season of our TV shows, we will be sort of crossing over several seasons just because we don't really get to Kurt's. Kurt and Eric's actually and Eric and, and Brittany and Santana and, and Lily Adam and Ola and there's all of, all of these <laughs> all of these situations that we don't get the full you know experience of right out the gates yeah so we will be pulling from some of those different seasons um to discuss the various relationships and trials and tribulations of our queer teens across these two television shows yes So yes, just to echo what you were just saying though, Phoebe, we will at least start off with kind of our main um, queer characters on each show. So I guess we'll start with Kurt, um, who Mm -hmm. is someone that we are introduced to episode one Mm -hmm. and is, you know, a main character, I would say. He's not like- Glee club member. Exactly. And and he's original. He's as OG as it gets. Yes, exactly. Um, And I actually am now remembering that the like very beginning of the first episode of Glee, we see Kurt being bullied and put into a dumpster. Yes. And so like one of the first scenes actually. Exactly. right off the bat, we see that Kurt is facing scrutiny. And it, it puts, it puts his, that experience like at the forefront. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think it is also important that we note that Kurt is definitely, um, portrayed as a more feminine character, um, and is more stereotypically, um, like feminine Feminine. leaning gay person. Yeah. Yes. Um, 
he he falls into that um kind of character trope of like the feminine gay man into fashion into, fashion. into musical theater yes um is sassy has sassy diva like tendencies yes i think that these are all qualities that kurt um has but that also shares with like you're saying this trope of sassy feminine gay teen yeah which um I would say is interesting because um, what I think we can say, what you see in um, television shows and media when there are queer characters such as Kurt, they they kind of fall into this um, limited category of mm-hmm. being this feminine gay person. So, and it doesn't really challenge um, what queer characters really can be Mm -hmm. and so when we see someone like Kurt we're like it makes sense that he is gay because as an audience we're kind of familiar with that character trope right and it definitely as you're saying it doesn't um represent the full spectrum Mm -hmm. of like the queer experience because it really is just reinserting Kurt back into this like heteronormative yes exactly um situation and we'll get into that more when we discuss Blaine and his relationship with Kurt and everything but I think we will now switch over quickly to our other television show to Eric what a fun and unique character in my opinion I yeah me too I love Eric I I think honestly as far as like characters go in sex education Eric is always like the most like sure of himself mm-hmm. and transparent he's, with like he's where, where he's at mostly unapologetically himself yes exactly which is hard to say it is hard to say in high school and I do think it's important that we note Eric is the best friend yes he is not our main character no, he's and not. although he is one of our main characters he does in a lot of ways serve the purpose of being comic relief best friend for sure and it is important that although like, yes, he does get his own storylines and yes, we do get to see a lot of his experience. He is at times only like falling into that stereotype of gay best friend to our main character. Yeah, for sure. Um, And I would, I will say though, Eric's character is a little bit more dynamic, more unique. Mm -hmm. Eric is black and queer he's also comes from a religious family so he explores religion especially in season two um and he likes to wear drag and kind of explores that area in his life as well totally so i think for both of our characters kurt and eric Mm -hmm. a main um plot line for both from the get-go is this narrative of the bullied yeah gay kid for sure um and like we said we see that immediately with Kurt one of the very first scenes in Glee and we see it repeatedly this is something that he's dealing with whether it's as a member of the Glee club slushy to the face or it's you're gay and we're gonna pick on you yeah we're gonna throw it like I the first scene you see him being thrown in the dumpster and uh it's Kurt acts as if, I mean, it, and it's kind of suggested that it happens on a routine basis. Yes. So Kurt is just so, it's so normalized to Kurt. He's like, okay, he's, let me he's nonchalant about yeah, it he's for sure. About it. So the audience understands that, okay, this is happening 
on a day-to-day basis. And I almost think, I think that that's an important um, observation or an interesting observation because I almost feel like Eric has a similar relationship with being bullied where it's so matter of fact to him that it's just something he's like mentally prepared for on the daily. Yeah. And we kind of see it almost immediately with Eric too, when he's in the hall and Adam approaches him and starts to call him names. Ask and for lunch money. Ask for lunch money, that kind of thing. And what I think is also interesting is that Eric doesn't, um, is also kind of is bullied by Anwar, uh-huh. who is another gay character in sex education. But um, I would say Anwar kind of um, falls into more of a like Kurt type of character mm-hmm. rather than someone like Eric. Right. I would agree. And I do also think it's interesting that Anwar is more similar to Kurt in that sort of sassy diva, stereotypical gay guy Mm -hmm. um, type character, but that he has the upper hand Mm -hmm. in the dynamic with Eric. Like he is in a position to be the bully and not the bullied. Um, And I do think that that was a creative choice that sex education went for like in an, not, I don't want to say in an attempt to, um, move us forward, but like, it's a clear indication of we're seeing a different, um, experience of being gay as the bully and not Uh as being bullied. And I think it is interesting that in that, in that kind of dynamic between Anwar and Eric as two, or they're, the only two out gay right. kids at their school. Yeah. Um, but that, you know, the bullying that Eric receives from Anwar is not on the basis of being gay. No. It's, it's just, just that Anwar is it, mean to everyone, <laughs> ridiculing fashion choices left and right. Exactly, exactly. So on the topic of bullying, we see some interesting relationships pan out between the bullied and the bully so in glee we see a relationship develop between kurt and karofsky and then in sex education we see um a relationship develop between eric and adam um and i would say karofsky and adam are kind of the um main culprits of the like routine bullying of both these characters like they both have it out for their respective people exactly um and then it isn't um until later that we learn after you know all this bullying that it turns into you know a moment of passion between Kurt and Krofsky and Eric and Adam right so I mean clearly it's the product of the internalized homophobia. homophobia yeah um and just to um, speak more specifically on what you were just saying about this passion is that we have like scene for scene mm-hmm. um, with Karovsky and Kurt and with Eric and Adam, they are alone in a school setting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for Eric and Adam, they have detention together. And then right. a like fight breaks out where mm-hmm. they're, you know, physically they have a physical altercation that then results in them kissing and having like they they hook up during detention or something (laughs) and with Kurt and Karofsky they're like in a locker room and Karofsky is like yelling at him whatever they're having again some sort of fight um which then comes to a head with Karofsky kissing Kurt um 
And so I think it is interesting that in these situations, the bully has this um, like violent mm -hmm. nature and the only, I feel like what that's, um, what the they're trying to get at is that the only way that these people know how to um, cope with what's going on and, and that they don't have like the tools or the knowledge or the vocabulary to feel comfortable or like the space to feel comfortable to be open out to even like really confront this in themselves. Yeah. And so the way that they are coping with it is by taking it out on someone else. Exactly. And I think that um, at the very least with Adam, a big part of who he is as a character is that he has this relationship with his dad. Yes. Where it's like the dad is super toxic and is bullying Adam. Um, and yeah. I think that we have this interesting experience of watching Eric and his dad's relationship right as opposed to Adam um, and his dad's relationship where yes Eric's dad feels some concern for Eric like he repeatedly only wants Eric to be safe yes um and you know wants him to succeed um and so he's only ever worried about Eric in that sense yeah but is ultimately loving and celebrates who he is as a person right um whereas Adam is clearly being like you know um he is suffocated yeah. by his dad yeah he is um clearly uh, a disappointment to his dad and his yeah. dad makes that clear on repeated occasions mm -hmm. and so we kind of see that um funnel down to how Adam treats other people Totally. And how he treats himself. Totally. So in sex education, towards the end of season one is when we start to see Eric and Adam's relationship turn over into this romantic sexual relationship yeah. as opposed to this bully, bully. relationship. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just at the very end of season one that Adam is being sent off to military school. Yes. So just as Eric and Adam are kind of starting to feel each other out and it appears that they're developing feelings for each other. Mm -hmm. um, it just gets ripped out from under Eric mm -hmm. right before anything can, can really happen. take off. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Then in season two, Raheem comes onto the scene yes. and he is, you know, the local sixth form haughty new kid. Yeah. And everyone is eyeing him. Who is he? And if you can believe it, he picks Eric out of the crowd being I like, would you like to go on a date with me? I mean, I could believe it, but I also couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I do think it's also really lovely that we get to see for Eric, it be so simple. Yeah. You know, like it, I think it is really wonderful that they're showing this experience of being gay, that it's as easy as, oh, hey, do you want to go on a date? Exactly. And I think it's also, it's refreshing for the audience to see, but it's also refreshing for Eric after having that, interesting dynamic with Adam going from that to then him with Raheem is just like like a three like a 180 exactly um, um and I think what's interesting about this love triangle between um Eric and Adam and Raheem is yes at the center of all these relationships is their gay identity but at the same time 
um, it is also just a love triangle that you could kind of see play out between any character, whether they're queer or straight, because you kind of see a semi-similar love triangle kind of play out between, you know, Jackson, Maeve, and Otis also in Sex Education. Totally. And many other characters. Totally. Yeah, and I, kind of similarly to what I was saying of it is just as simple as asking someone out again at the center of their dynamic is going to be their gay identity Mm -hmm. um but also i appreciate that sex education presents some of these um experiences as you know just a matter of fact exactly what i kind of like about the storyline between um this love triangle that we're talking about um is the character development um at first Eric makes it clear to Adam after Adam returns from military school and they run into Raheem and Eric together. Yes. Um, Eric basically makes it pretty clear that he um, is self-assured and doesn't need to be in the kind of uncertain headspace that Adam is in and doesn't need to feel that kind of shame because he's felt that before. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he feels like with Raheem, he's finally kind of moving forward. Mm And then you see Adam kind of go through this like turmoil throughout season two of like who he is and how, um, how he's going to tell people how he feels like his, in his family and, or how he feels romantically towards Eric. Um, And then towards the end, um, it isn't until Adam's mom who separates from the toxic dad, the toxic dad um, tells like Adam, like kind of like follow your heart kind of gives that, you know, classic speech Mm -hmm. that Adam goes to the school play and, um, publicly shows, um, Eric, how he feels. And, you know, I will say kind of along the same lines as what I was saying earlier of Glee does kind of have a tendency to reinsert their characters Mm -hmm. into this like binary, um, we do kind of see that Adam, a more masculine character, is struggling with coming to terms with, you know, his sexual orientation and being open and being vulnerable and all of these more feminine traits of being emotional and whatever, that Mm -hmm. he's struggling with that. Whereas Eric, who does tend to be more feminine in terms of um, you know, wearing his heart on his sleeve and and liking makeup, fashion, these sorts mm-hmm. of things, um, that he struggles less with being unapologetically himself. Yes. Um, and so I do think that that is sort of perpetuating this idea that in order to be, or like that masculinity is associated with like, oh, how do I navigate being gay? Yeah. Yeah, that is um, that is a really interesting interesting thought there for sure. So taking a look at Kurt and Blaine, um, we see Kurt actually leave William McKinley High School to go to the all boys school, the name of which I'm currently forgetting, but I know that their their glee club is the Warblers. So I remember (laughs) that. Um, And I think that we see Kurt sort of enter this like safe haven almost Mm -hmm. of in comparison to the William McKinley environment where he's just constantly being bullied left and right. And I think that he gets the opportunity to be himself a bit more Mm -hmm. in this environment. And he does, they, they do have a struggle of 
Kurt not knowing if Blaine likes him and having a crush on him and all this stuff and there just being some uncertainty in their relationship and Valentine's Day is coming up and then Kurt is uncertain if Blaine has a crush on him or who it is <laughs> and what's going on. Um, so, you know, I do think that we get to see some of that play out in a way that feels authentic and, yeah, and genuine. For sure. Um, but again, I do think that we see Blaine being more of the dominant or sort of protector type role in their relationship, Definitely. which again, just reinscribes them That's into this heteronormative relationship relationship that one should be more feminine and passive and one should be the opposite yeah of the protector yes so switching gears a little bit to two dynamics that we can compare across the tv shows Mm -hmm. would be santana and Brittany. yes as a best friendship turned romance Mm -hmm. and similarly on sex education we have lily and ola best friendship turned romance yes um And I would say that, um, you know, Brittany and Santana are um, kind of, they're they're the cheerleaders, they're conventionally good looking, um, and have been with guys in previous uh, relationships. Um, And so their relationship comes as a bit of a surprise, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, And Ola and Lily are a bit quirkier Mm -hmm. um but also have previously dated men and then find themselves to kind of feel romantically about each other you know I'm also feeling like I'm recognizing a similar pattern with Santana and Brittany as with Adam and Eric a little bit Uh of Santana who takes on the more um aggressive masculine role of their dynamic is the one who again struggles with coming to terms with her gay identity and I think that it's this um masculine tendency against vulnerability that that stops these characters from from being able to comfortably explore this part of their identity or that it takes them a bit longer to confront it yeah I um I would agree and I think I think, and you've kind of already talked about this, but I really do think it's interesting that when we're watching these shows, it is always kind of the more masculine character that is struggling to come to terms with how to um, kind of speak to and act to how they feel. Mm -hmm. And just um, thinking about kind of what that tells us, like if we're constantly seeing more effeminate characters be comfortable with their emotions and um, in this case, their gay identities, um, is it harder for audience members to come to terms with seeing a masculine character that is more comfortable with their gay identity? Right. So I think with Brittany and Santana, there's also a humorous element, I think. Yeah, okay. Um, you know, not when it actually comes down to it that, like, they do handle it in a way that is um, genuine, mm-hmm at points but I think because Brittany is such a um for lack of a better word like ditzy character Mm -hmm. that that people find funny I feel like there are moments where you don't necessarily take their relationship super seriously or you're you're unsure of 
if this is something to laugh at or if right. this is something to look at seriously. And I do think, like I said, there are of course moments where they handle it with care. Yeah. But I do think that there are moments where because these are characters who we see in sort of a comedic light for either being ditzy or aggressive. Yeah. Um, I think that it, it is an interesting dynamic. Yeah. And I feel, and then whereas I feel differently about Ola and Lily. Totally, um, totally. Yeah, because they have this clear friendship. They, you know, talk about their boy troubles. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of are walked through Ola's emotions and her kind of dreaming about Lily in a more sexual manner and kind of trying to cope with what that means and mm-hmm. how she feels. Um, and trying to identify what label she feels fits her best or what, what she identifies with. Right. Um. And that ultimately she identifies as pansexual. This is actually a conversation that she has with Adam where he is just not, (laughs) not, not receptive. (laughs) He's making jokes. He's being crass the way he is. Yeah. But that scene is really, I I really do enjoy that scene. It's so genuine and it's so Ola. Like that is Mm -hmm. kind of how I see her character. Mm -hmm. She's like talking it through. And even if Adam's not really even listening Mm -hmm. and she's like, well like what if I'm pansexual and she and it kind of she like this like light bulb kind Mm -hmm. of turns on in her head totally um but I do I think that their relationship feels very genuine yeah and I think that like it is interesting that both of these relationships Santana and Brittany and Lily and Ola come out of a best friendship yeah um which I think is of course not the only way that this sort of thing can happen of course and even sex education does explore um another gay Gay couple couple. of girls who uh come to otis actually no now that i'm thinking about it they also their whole thing was that they were best friends and then they both came out at the same time that's right and that's why they were together yes and that was a whole issue yes but I, i that was just a uh a continuity that I was picking up on that there is this narrative of two girl best friends yeah. then realizing that they actually have romantic feelings for each other which is of course a real experience but I I feel like I was lacking in both shows the experience of Maybe, oh, oh just two just two just girls to, yeah like, do you want to go on a date exactly yeah. like I I would love to see a more organic matter of fact hey do you want to go on a date you know yeah exactly I also find it interesting that um, we see, like, before we see these relationships develop between the two couples, um, we see Santana, like, dating boys, and we see Ola kind of dating boys, and we don't really get that um, kind of right off the bat relationship of, like, there is this gay woman who, like, is just attracted to the girl down the hall and Mm -hmm. approaches her. There's kind of, like, there's kind of always something before. Okay, like, sure, sure. No, I agree completely that uh, in both, we're seeing girls who are falling into this, um, oh, I like guys because it is normal to mm-hmm. like guys. I'm just a default setting. I <laughs> like guys because I am a girl. Yes. And then having to navigate. Backtrack. Exactly. Yeah. Um, 
And this is, it is interesting because that is definitely some people's experience. Some, yeah, and a, sure. I think a lot of people's experience, yeah. but I think that there are plenty of people that from a young age are able to identify that's, that's not how they feel. Yeah. And so I think it, it would be interesting to see, to have seen characters that had that experience. Yeah. Yeah. And we kind of get that, like you were saying with the, um, other lesbian couple that Otis kind of consults for like an episode. Um, but again, just maybe having some more diversity in um, how they're depicted, maybe mm-hmm. not, you know. Yeah. How they come to their come situation. To, yeah. Yeah. So one thing that I would like for us to talk about that doesn't necessarily map onto Glee. So we're going to just take a moment yeah. for Eric for and, a, yeah. and sex education. <laughs> Um, but I do think that this falls into this general topic, mm-hmm. um, of Eric and Otis dressing up for Hedwig and the angry inch. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're both dressed in similar outfits of a blonde wig and denim jacket, denim skirt, and some boots. And in this episode, we get to see each of them on their separate trajectories, both in this same outfit. Yes. And on one hand, Otis has a relatively normal day. Yeah. The worst that happens is people kind of give him a weird look of what's happening here. Um, and on the flip side, Eric has a pretty traumatic experience. Yeah. Um, and his safety is very much called into question. Yeah. Um, and I think that it's important that we understand or that we discuss that it is the fact that Eric is black. Yes. The fact that he is gay and this um, outfit is perceived as a more authentic attempt at dressing up. Yeah. Whereas Otis wearing the same exact outfit is pretty immediately identified by others as a joke or as it's, it doesn't, it's not perceived as an authentic attempt to Mm. wear drag. Yeah. Eric definitely experiences um, some difficulty with the consequences of that being that his well I will say that this was probably just coincidence that his or not coincidence but like it was a bad luck moment that his phone and his wallet got stolen at the train station yeah um but it is then later on when he's walking home alone that, he has that, that he's that he's assaulted yeah exactly um and it's also that incident that sort of takes Eric's character arc into a trough where he is then being angsty and he's Mm -hmm. not wearing his usual colorful clothing and he's we see him a lot more angry at the world and a lot more um he just has less energy to be putting up with anyone's bs yeah and trying not to draw attention to himself because i think when he dressed up in the hedwig outfit you know, he was um, wearing drag and was being Eric in his, like, full greatness. Mm-hmm. But after the assault, he kind of falls into this, yeah, like, dark hole of, like, okay, well, I just shouldn't even stick out at all because when I do, like, um, I could face a real 
um, dangers to my safety. Exactly. And I do think it's really beautiful what we see of Eric then sort of turning inwards towards himself mm-hmm. and towards his family. He then goes to church with his family. Mm-hmm. And I think that he's in that way able to reconnect with his relationship with religion, For sure. his cultural heritage and then brings that revived energy to the prom with a a (laughs) wonderful colorful outfit where he also again has this like heartfelt moment with his dad Mm -hmm. where there's the ultimate like celebration of his identity um and I will say that it's at this dance that Eric then has like a moment on the dance floor which I was feeling was reminiscent of my so-called life Ricky Vasquez what is love moment on the dance floor at prom oh yeah yeah. Um, very reminiscent and I know that Ricky Vasquez from my so-called life was another gay best friend type character Mm -hmm. of the 90s um, who has this like celebration of himself Mm -hmm. on the dance floor at the (laughs) school dance Um, and so I was I was picking up similar energy and I'm not sure if it was an actual like nod or homage to that scene I because I think, to be honest, that scene has probably informed a lot of like these types of scenes yeah, that we, sure. we have now seen many, many <laughs> times over. But I was very specifically getting that. No, I would say, I would argue it was an homage. And even though- I, I'd like to think yeah, so. Yeah, I'd like to think so. Uh, and I, even though, you know, at proms and dances, people are joyous and are dancing on the dance floor. There is definitely a distinct- um, image here of of Eric having this moment of like pride and joy and, and, self-acceptance, and self-acceptance self-love and you see the same thing in my so-called life with Ricky Vasquez yes I also not to like piggyback uh back to um the Hedwig moment mm-hmm. but I also do think it is really important that and um in this kind of scene um, the show chose to show Eric's character face the violence um, that he did because I think sometimes what we see in media is like this post-gay rhetoric of like the gay best friends kind of just like being there and like being sure of themselves and kind of just like being like the comedic relief or like fun part of the show. Um, and then it kind of erases or undermines like violence and scrutiny that they face. Whereas I think in this scene, it's very deliberate showing Eric um, kind of his, um, showing Eric face this violence and showing that this is something that still happens. And and I do think that, you know, the show does in some ways like tie it up in a nice bow yeah, with relative sure. ease. I do think that we we get to see him have that low low. Yeah. And then it feels natural mm-hmm. and at least somewhat realistic that he would then like turn to his family or mm-hmm. turn to religion or turn to whatever and and that that would um reinvigorate his very vibrant personality you know like I think that 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 arc makes sense to me Mm -hmm. um and it also makes for a nice story yes definitely okay so moving back to glee uh we see um an interesting dynamic between Kurt and Mercedes and 
Mercedes kind of questions her attraction or possibly Kurt's attraction um, when in re- in the reality of the show Glee, we know that Kurt is gay. So, okay. And, and so in this situation where Mercedes is having a crush on Kurt and yeah. she is not aware that he's gay, mm-hmm. um, Kurt does also use the cover up of, oh, I have a crush on Rachel. Yes. Um, and ultimately Kurt then does tell Mercedes I'm gay mm-hmm. comes out to her and says that he has never told anyone, told before. anyone before yeah they then have a tender moment where Mercedes reminds Kurt that the whole point of the glee club is to be unapologetically yourself and that this is a safe space with unconditional love which you know <laughs> but I I do think that that it obviously is um again tied up really nicely yeah yeah that, oh you come out to your friend and they're so understanding and accepting and remind you that it's all about being yourself yeah you know <laughs> so in some way it does in some ways it does feel a little bit um manufactured yeah but for sure I do think it's also sweet that we're seeing Kurt have this moment of vulnerability with Mercedes and that she is so accepting, accepting. and and um encouraging of him being him who he is yeah yeah of course and I and and that is you know the the overall theme of Glee Club is uh-huh. as Mercedes said is to you know just be yourself and sing it to the world <laughs> <laughs> um but and and I do think it's really important that we're seeing uh scenes like this um where Kurt has a friend or someone he feels safe to talk to about his gay identity. But at the same time, um, I do have a bit of a problem about um, the response of being like, well, why don't you just tell people? Right. Um, Because it is hard. I personally um, take issue with just, (laughs) just, just, just be who you are. Just be who you are on the inside yeah, like it, as if the as just it, implies it's, it's so, so simple easy. yeah and when it's it's so it's so not um so there is it, it's a catch-22 that scene for me mm-hmm. a bit mm-hmm. and I will say just as a general note um I do feel like Glee in general um does sort of put their queer characters or their characters of color or whoever Mm -hmm. secondary to the main plot of white thin straight characters and you know of course they have like six seasons or how you know there are plenty of hours of glee where they do explore different storylines and whatever Mm -hmm. they do have a wide array of main characters but I do feel like at times these other characters are secondary to the main plot of Rachel and Finn Uh and Quinn and blah 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 of these straight white thin characters yeah I agree and definitely with Mercedes um she kind of like fits the stereotype of the asexualized like fat character mm-hmm. um and we never really see her and I don't want to say never but there's there isn't much exploring of Mercedes romantic um right. relationships right and we can get into that more yeah, later yeah. with our tropes 
and high school clicks. Yeah. But for now, I think it is time that we move along to portrayals of sexual encounters and experiences related to sex. Yes, yes. Um, so sex education, I'll just, I'll say, um, I mean, Otis uh, kind of takes on this role, as I said at the beginning, as a sex consultant. Um, and he tries to approach his peers' problems with an open mind um, and via the knowledge that he carries from his mom, Jean. Um, but um, through each episode, we see him kind of juggle his lack of expertise um, and personal experience with like kind of knowledge he's had growing up. Um, so I would say like, overarching sex education does it's in the name it's in the name it explicitly <laughs> talks about sexual uh, encounters so um and i will also say just as a side note of my own personal thoughts yeah i do really like the way that sex education has its main characters that we mm -hmm. are exploring these different stories with but that we also have this format of like each episode we are tackling a different issue of maybe some other characters, maybe characters we're already familiar with, yeah. um, where we get to step outside of just our limited group of main characters to learn about other people, other experiences, other stuff that's going on in their little universe. Yeah, totally. And um, I will say it's interesting too that um, the peers that approach Otis with problems, a lot of them are couples, which I think is interesting. Sometimes like sometimes I feel like uh, you see kind of like an inner turmoil between like one individual about their sexual experiences or lack thereof and here you see kind of couples addressing relationship issues mm -hmm. um, and things that I think like aren't always talked about. Sure and also that even kind of as you're saying being able to approach this situation as a couple mm -hmm. Although it, there is maybe still some discomfort or shame because they're coming to him with this issue, um, at the very least, they're open enough with each other yeah. to approach the situation together, For as opposed sure. to, as you're saying, going completely inwards, shame, self-hatred, whatever it might be. For sure. And I think it sends a message that, you know, relationships, it, it's, uh, it's dynamic. It takes, it takes two or however many. And uh -huh. um it's important to show people like show kind of a relationship maturity about addressing and communicating between your partner. Sure. And I will say, I also appreciate that sex education does have the capacity to have these, yes. you know, explicit and candid mm -hmm. portrayals of sex mm -hmm. um, just because Netflix can, can. Um, and we know that whatever cable Fox. network fox <laughs> that glee was on was not um allowed to do so yeah so we do keep that in mind of course but i am really glad that netflix is a platform that is more accessible to young people as opposed to like hbo let's say which for has sure. for a long time been able to explore whatever explicit content they want to yeah um because i think that netflix is more accessible to a wider variety of people and young people and that these stories are being brought to to more people yeah i agree um but of course in glee when we are watching these high schoolers i think a big part of of the experience is getting to know who they are in relationships and 
exploring new sexual experiences. Mm -hmm. And so that is a part of the, um, or like a a large part of the content of the show. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Um, When I think of portrayals of sexual encounters and season one glee, I think of celibacy club Mm -hmm. and the introduction to that. So we have Quinn, who is, you know, popular cheerleader, top of the social pyramid, um, who is leader of the celibacy club. And um, the whole idea of celibacy club is kind of that, I think there's like a scene, one of the first scenes is like, the girls please, or the girls tease don't please. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's like this whole dynamic that um, celibacy is the answer. Right. And I mean, I think it's interesting the way that we see Rachel Mm -hmm. find her way thinking that it's going to open some social doors for her. Yeah. And really, you know, she just feels frustration with the fact that it is this guise for teens to sort of like explore these topics or, you know, whatever they're doing over there at the (laughs) celibacy club. Um, And I think that Rachel, you know, she's making a genuine attempt at, at, um, at being honest and, and trying to explain that, you know, girls have sexual thoughts and feelings as, (laughs) as young people and that it's not just guys that are experiencing this. Um, but she is a bit misguided in what she then channels that into, which is a dance number in front (laughs) of the whole school with, um, rather suggestive dance moves. I would say yes. um, (laughs) To the song, push Push it. it. (laughs) So, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's par for the course that we have these quirky antics <laughs> over at the Glee Club that yeah. neatly ties into the subject matter. Uh, and uh, then um, we do have Quinn, leader of Celibacy Club, uh, ends up getting pregnant, um, which is not a celibate thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, you know... <laughs> Um, I also, I do think it's interesting that, you know, Quinn as a character is defined by her popularity, by her cheerleader dumb, by, you know, being the prettiest girl in school and having her football varsity boyfriend and, you know, whatever it is that gives her life meaning is completely shattered when when she becomes pregnant pregnant. and she is then disowned by her parents yes. she has to move out. out like it and it completely dictates the rest the of rest, her life yeah. for for the season at the very least for sure yeah and I do think it's interesting that as you were saying Quinn's social status is you know like at its peak when she's like leader of celibacy club and it's just like this perfect and she's head um, cheerleader head cheerleader like um kind of model of William McKinley High School mm-hmm. and then she gets pregnant people realize she had sex and suddenly her social status is just shattered completely and it's like what what does that tell us about the consequences of having sex right and also that there's this idea of purity and innocence Mm -hmm. and then that's that the illusion is shattered and no one's taking interest in her anymore and no one is like sue gets rid of of her, does away with Quinn. She can't be at the top of the cheer pyramid. Nope, (laughs) not anymore. Um, And I think it's interesting that like 
of course, something as massive as getting pregnant Mm -hmm. at any age is going to rule your life to a certain extent. For sure. Um, But it is also, it's unfortunate, or I feel like we do get to see that it seems as if Quinn's whole like value as a character is is, diminished is her popularity and which is then diminished by her creating life right (laughs) and then kind of kind of similarly in sex education um Maeve um has sex with Jackson gets pregnant and then decides to have an abortion um and I I think this episode where Maeve gets an abortion is interesting because well and tell me if you disagree but um the I think this kind of episode mainly shows it as Maeve's choice I don't Mm -hmm. she doesn't even mention it to Jackson that she's getting an abortion um and so it's definitely like kind of an individual thing Mm -hmm. um totally not to cut you off but I feel like even the fact that she takes this pregnancy test and doesn't tell a single soul yeah she is really taking this this path on her own and I feel like part of that is is that her as a character she is sort of a rugged individual you know like she's living on her own in this trailer park yeah (laughs) and she has this tough as nails reputation and I feel like that definitely carries over in how she conducts herself in this situation as well she does not want to be vulnerable or emotional Mm -hmm. or even um let Jackson know that this is going on or any of her other friends that she has not even Otis or Um, Amy or yes and and I yeah and there is this kind of like um juxtaposition I'd say of it being kind of insignificant and she's just gonna get it and not tell anyone because she doesn't want to kind of expose her vulnerability and but it's also in the same way of its insignificance it's also just like a matter of fact like she can't have a baby right now she doesn't Mm want to have a baby and so it's just it's gonna happen Mm -hmm. totally and I do think it's interesting that we discuss um part of Maeve's experience of getting the abortion is being greeted by these anti-abortion protesters at the uh, facility. Um, Yeah. And it's, it becomes clear that they are religiously motivated, Mm -hmm. which, you know, doesn't really come as any huge surprise. Um, But we do then find out more from these characters, the more that Otis is talking with them. Um, And I did think it was interesting that, you know, the girl has some verbiage of sex is for a man and a woman and mm-hmm. when they are married on their on their wedding mm-hmm. night. Um, and I, I did think it was an interesting choice that they opted to include that as part of the part of the narrative for this episode. Yeah, yeah, that that relationship kind of between religion and sex mm-hmm. and uh in glee there is a similar commentary with uh quinn's celibacy club and kind of quinn like wanting to pray and and wearing her cross cross necklace yeah Yeah. i will say that i think it is interesting at the abortion 
clinic. Mm-hmm. Um, Maeve has this interaction with another woman there yeah. who is at first just being sort of obnoxious and all over the place. Um, and Maeve is still sort of putting up these walls and, and just trying to get through the experience. And then we see them sort of be vulnerable with one another mm-hmm. as it actually comes down to being like in the operating room um they join hands mm-hmm. and the lady makes them do the wave <laughs> for just a little comic relief yeah. but also you know it it was a genuine attempt at trying to be there for each other yeah. and to support each other in this difficult, difficult time. time it is I feel like Maeve and a lot of the other women that we're seeing there are just trying to keep it together. Mm -hmm. And so this moment of like emotional vulnerability, which we then also see after the fact, the woman is, um, she's crying and she's upset about the pudding flavor she got. And Maeve is there to sort of support her. Exactly. And I do think that it it is a lovely um, interaction where these two women who are trying to be tough as nails are then having this moment of vulnerability with each other in this shared experience. Yeah. Yeah. And, and these were, you know, two women, um, that came like as individuals by themselves to this very difficult moment. And yeah, we see them kind of come together, which is really empowering and showing like the importance of support in those moments. And, you know, going back to what you were saying of they explore this experience of Maeve's in a way that's like, it is matter of fact, like this was the decision she was always going to make. And there wasn't even any moment of doubt about Mm -hmm. it. Um, But it's not like it was so insignificant that it just happened and we heard about it or we see her go into the clinic and And then then come out. We do actually see her like go through the The experience, the experience of anesthesia. And I feel like we are seeing, I don't want to say a moment of panic, but definitely like the discomfort or the fear or the um how uncomfortable it can be to feel so like scientific and feel like you're being dissected like I feel like we're definitely getting that when she is asked to be on the bed and then you know there's all these nurses and doctors around Mm -hmm. working on the anesthesia and all that and then you know she wakes up but I do think it was an interesting choice for them to intentionally show all of the actual steps of the experience and and the range of emotion that Maeve could have been experiencing during this during this yeah yeah no and I and I and I said previously that it was a matter of fact, which it, it was, as you said, Maeve kind of always had the decision in mind that she was going to get an abortion. But I I don't mean that in taking away the significance of and the choice. Like, of the choice, mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, okay. So I will say when it comes to sex education, I do think in a lot of ways they are pushing the envelope when it comes to honest portrayals mm-hmm. or... I think that that's a fair assessment. No, I yeah, think I would say so. I think that they, for a teen show, especially for for a teen show, they sh- they do a good job of showing the various like awkward or uncomfortable mm-hmm. situations that that people can experience. Yeah, in this, you know, trying to navigate sexual experiences as a young person, just not really having a clue. Yeah. Um, but they definitely do have their moments of. I don't want to say 
perpetuating um, more shameful tendencies around sex, but even like the sex ed teacher at the high school Mm -hmm. says something along the lines of, well, this is going to be really awkward when he is, you know, beginning giving whatever the, exactly whatever the lecture is. And so I think that like, they do still have some admission of these topics can be a little bit uncomfortable to breach or like they are difficult to handle with care sometimes mm-hmm. um and or handle then, correctly or ha- and or you know cor- well, the, 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 the. or to <laughs> or to handle in an open-minded way yeah, yeah. um i think that sometimes no people people can just get so um suffocated by discomfort yeah that then there isn't much room for learning growing um and so i i you know i think that sex education as a tv show does have a little bit of both of of being really honest and candid and also still sometimes being a bit like oh this is going to be awkward or this is weird or whatever which again in some ways is also just more honesty and and you know no yeah and i yeah i do feel that um in you know in our real life um sex is kind of this topic that's like taboo that we don't really talk about especially i would say in like united states culture i can't really speak for um british culture Mm -hmm. um but um it's kind of something that yeah is like awkward or like sex ed is like uncomfortable um which you could argue just makes sex education maybe all the more honest Mm -hmm. but also if we continue to perpetuate the idea that sex education is this awkward thing that like we shouldn't talk about or like only is like appropriate for certain spaces then like it's just going to continue to be that way totally and I, I yeah I do think that even as we see in the second season with Jean coming on mm-hmm. as like the sex high school counselor mm-hmm. person, I don't know what her official title is yeah. um, at this moment in time. That sounds but, all right though. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think that even in that situation, there is some uncertainty or discomfort, like, oh, should we be having this person mm-hmm. teaching our young children about yeah. all of this stuff? Um, and I think that it's I respect that they do approach it in that way as opposed yeah. to like oh we'll just have this, this this kumbaya yeah. like <laughs> of course everything is so open-minded yeah, you yeah. know I think that they sort of hold your hand through the experience of being like yes this can be a bit awkward or this yeah. can be like a bit uncomfortable for people but we're doing what we can to open the doors of making it a more um comfortable conversation for sure and I also think um you see this especially in season two of sex education but um throughout the show there's constantly like so many questions um from you know the characters in the show not even just the main characters but like the you know extra students that we kind of get like a glimpse into Mm -hmm. um which I think is important because when you're a young adult obviously you don't have all the answers about sex and sex education and so seeing all of these students kind of approach Jean in season two being like is this normal or like I do this like what does that mean like Mm. that I think is a natural part of growing up and I think it is really wonderful that with sex education we get to see the sexual experiences or related experiences um 
of our gay characters uh -huh. and even like for example lily liking um or the fact that she does like sexy graphic yeah, novels yeah. <laughs> or whatever you know that's a really unique trait but uh, there are plenty of young people that that you know resonate with totally. that content yeah and so i think it is interesting and lovely that we get we get to see those things variety, whereas yeah. on glee let's say mm -hmm. the only sexual encounters that i can recall from the first season are with our straight white, white thin, thin characters. characters yeah for sure um and in, and again we've kind of talked about this obviously sex education has a bit more freedom being that they're on netflix but we do get you know the conversation about douching um in season two with anwar and among like eric and um lily are watching porn mm -hmm. and are kind of get walked in onto that idea of like maybe the embarrassment of like getting walked in on while watching porn and so you, I think in sex education, there is definitely a bit more of a variety in comparison to Glee about mm -hmm. like what topics we're covering when we're talking about sex. Totally. I think it is interesting with both TV shows. We definitely see both sides of our characters feeling abnormal or uncomfortable with their sexual inexperience. Like for example, Otis is... Um, Otis is struggling to masturbate. He's yes. feeling really uncomfortable at it. Um, and we see that journey over the course of season one with Otis. Um, and then that on the flip side to that, we have a character like Maeve, who is given the name Cockbiter. Right. Um, and is thought of as a man-eater type character. Um, and so it's, you know, no matter if you are having sex out the wazoo or, or you're not. completely celibate mm -hmm. um you know we're seeing our characters feel uncomfortable or feel again abnormal in some way yeah and we do see a similar thing in glee because i do think that this is a a very real high school experience for a lot of people is yeah. no matter what you're doing someone's gonna find a way to be upset about it yeah yeah or that no matter what yeah no matter what you're like you're doing yourself or not doing or not doing you're gonna find a way to be like well that's not enough because so-and-so is or isn't and also because there is such a preoccupation with being normal yeah and with being um like socially accepted mm -hmm. people in high school have this like obsession with with just being fitting, accepted yeah, fitting, in fitting in and and being at the same pace as everyone else yeah when yeah which I think is interesting uh in both shows there there isn't really a conversation about how like there really isn't a pace like everyone is kind of on their own mm -hmm. path mm -hmm. um so then in Glee um there's Puck um who we know as sexually active and um because he is the father of Quinn's baby um and I don't want to say that he like never reaps the consequences of you know being sexually active as if there really like are any like consequences or like anything like that but I I am kind of, what I'm trying to get at is that I think um in both shows um, some of the male protagonists, so like Puck and Glee and Jackson in Sex Education, um, are known to be sexually active beings. And 
are never slut shamed for it. It's the classic double standard that men who have a lot of sex are praised for doing so and women are shamed for doing that. Um, And we definitely see that with Jackson and Puck, both being athletes, both being popular, good-looking guys, Mm -hmm. get a lot of girls, good for you, guy, good for you, man. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, on the flip side, the women are criticized for being sexually active. Exactly, exactly. I will say on sex education, you know, as I said, we see Maeve getting some like reputation for sleeping around or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And with Adam, we see him getting bullied for having too big of a penis. Yes, that's right. And that he, again, like that's sort of going back to this lose-lose of like, you know, oh, you're abnormal for for pretty much anything that you're doing. It's Yeah, it's again about, yeah, fitting into this like, so to speak, normal um, idea Mm -hmm. that doesn't really exist. I do think with Glee... We are in some ways limited to more stereotypical characters of high school in general. Mm -hmm. And I know that we do get to see, like, well, I almost want to say that, like, I take issue with the way that Glee was kind of like, all right, let's get one kid in a wheelchair. Let's get one Asian person. Let's get one black person. Let's get one gay kid. And that fits the number. And then that fits the number and everyone else is going to be straight white thin. Yeah. (laughs) And you know, I know that that's not all that it comes down to. No, 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 no. But But when, when they were creating the cast of characters of the Glee Club, they did, I feel in some ways, kind of go through the motions of so to speak, checking the boxes, you know, on various identities. And then those characters are sort of ruled by that identity, you know, as opposed to being like fully dynamic, exactly like dynamic beings. And that definitely um, bleeds into the sexual portrayal or the portrayals of sex that we see on Glee as well. Yeah. That like, we don't, we don't really see sexual encounters between let's say Mercedes um the black woman of the cast whereas the the sexual encounters kind of focus on Finn and Rachel and Quinn and Puck which are again the like white thin straight characters of the show yes and I think with Mercedes as we've kind of already touched on she is this more like stereotypical asexualized fat Mm -hmm. woman whereas um Lauren Zeises Mm -hmm. who's another fat character on Glee is this more like hypersexualized um stereotype of fat women um and then moving over to sex education we have Viv who is friend and tutor of Jackson who again is definitely falls more into the asexualized um stereotype in that her dynamic with Jackson is, is was absolutely assumed to be non-romantic, non-sexual. Yeah, always um, platonic. Totally. And so I think it's about time we move on into high school cliques. Yeah. And I the various tropes that we see. tropes. Um, yeah, well, I think Glee does just a bang-up job about... <laughs> fitting tropes and and even I will say like the characters even 
like commentate on um stereotypical social hierarchies in high school Mm -hmm. um but obviously we have Quinn who we've talked about before and she kind of fits the blonde popular type kind of has um like a mean demeanor um and is objectively pretty and is the cheer captain and most popular girl in school Mm -hmm. um and immediately kind of fits that trope and then Rachel who is another one of the main um girl protagonists is the nerdier like theater type um with brown hair with brown hair yeah <laughs> <laughs> um and you know just on this general topic i think that this is a lovely time for us to discuss the ways in which sex education plays upon some of these like american high school tropes yes. in this british setting for sure i mean and we've talked about this before but when we originally watched sex a sex education we kind of it kind of went right over our heads that we were watching a british show with so many american references totally like jackson wearing a letterman jacket totally and being like the star jock and, totally um, and and also the fact that they have a prom yeah, yeah. and uh, some of these other things that we're just so accustomed to seeing in our american television yeah. shows that it did like these images didn't even register sure. as so americanized because it's just what we're used to seeing yeah. Um, but I think that it's an interesting creative choice for sure. And there is obvious John Hughes inspiration coming through in the outfits, Mm -hmm. in the music, even there is like pretty explicit reference to the boom box. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, there, there are, yeah, there are quite, um, and big public displays of romance. Yes. Yes. Um, and even like music wise, soundtrack wise, you have the touch of nostalgia back to the 80s. Totally. Um, I also, I will say, sorry, in comparison to um, like other British television shows, like Skins and Dairy Girls are vastly different from sex education mm-hmm. as far as aesthetics wise. Totally. So going back to this trope of jocks, cheerleaders, the popular kids, mm-hmm. um, in Glee, funny enough, our character Sue Sylvester, head coach of the cheerleading squad, the yes. Cheerios, um, <laughs> is almost like one of the leaders yeah. in perpetuating this oh, high school is a caste system and there's sure. a social hierarchy. And I think it's really interesting that they opted for a teacher or a coach to to really be the one to um, reinforce this tendency that's already taking place naturally amongst the kids themselves. But I feel like typically you see teachers being a bit more like (sighs) trying to break that up (laughs) and trying to bring out the best in everyone and, and trying to, you know, let everyone be themselves. Yeah. And Sue is just absolutely soul crushing. Oh, 100%. <laughs> I think, I think right off the bat, episode one, she says something like jocks and cheerleaders, like own the penthouse uh-huh. of like the high school. Like they are at the top and everyone else is inferior. Mm-hmm. Um, which um, is, which kind of plays out uh, in the show. And even the fact that, in both TV shows, part of the whole premise is that we're following this like ragtag team of of quirky kids. You know, like obviously the Glee Club is all about 
these misfit teenagers just looking for a place to find themselves. And similarly with sex education, Mm -hmm. it is this kind of like, you know, banding together of the outcasts to find their way through, you know? Yeah. And what I find just, yeah, what I find interesting about sex education too, is that kind of what starts the whole plot of the entire show, um, of Otis being a sex consultant is, um, kind of Eric encouraging him that this is like their way in mm-hmm. and like, kind of like to understand the inner workings of high school, will, right. Like, make them be like at the top. Of- right. And it's, <laughs> that just goes to show that like, even Maeve, someone who we as the audience perceive as not being one of the popular kids, uh-huh. she's even on the outs herself. Yeah. And Eric is seeing that as, as a, like, as a stepping step- stone, yeah. as a, as a, as an inch closer, like yeah. even that going to another outcast is a step in the right direction for Eric. Yeah. The Glee Club functions as a way for these kids to find a space for their talent and for their, um, you know, unique identities. Mm -hmm. And that it's, it is like a launching pad for success outside of their small town in Ohio. For sure. You know, Which part you see of with them. Totally. And even even like, you know, there being some sort of hierarchy among the other glee clubs of of the region. <laughs> of Ohio. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and like trying to prove yourself as, you know, the best singers and dancers around. Um, but definitely with Finn, I think a large part of who he is as a character and his motivation, whether it's in football or in Glee Club or in who he chooses to have a relationship with, he's trying to prove himself Mm -hmm. and he's trying to get out of this small town. He wants to find success um, and wants to feel accomplished in in what he's doing, feel talented and feel validated. And so that's a big part of who he is and where he finds his motivation. Yeah. And you see him struggle a lot with like breaking the status quo of high school versus like what's best for him in kind of getting out of this, so to speak, low life town. Right. And I feel like he's sort of caught between feeling like this social hierarchy is something that I, it's a ladder I can climb Mm -hmm. to feel some level of success or validation. And then half the time he's like, I don't even think any of you are worth anything anyway Uh, (laughs) like I'm trying to get out of this low life town um and so I I do think that's interesting yeah um and then um in sex education we have Jackson who I think kind of fits the like um the 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 jock star jocks uh kind of trope and he also is like grilled by his parents for success it fits the it, I'm not giving up my dream dad yes, I'm giving up your yours, dream yeah. <laughs> um so we definitely see that and you know I will say I think it's interesting that in Jackson's uh parents relationship to women mm-hmm. in a partnership that's right um the there is one mom who is more of a maternal, like loving figure uh-huh. and one who is more of the coach. let's go coach, wake up early. It's go time, success, yeah. swimming, pushing <laughs> super hard. And I think that, you know, it is interesting that even in that dynamic, which we, I think that that is 
one attempt at being like, oh, look, here's a beautiful, happy marriage between two women. We don't even need to really like address it or talk about it. Like this is just, you know, a normal thing. Mm -hmm. But also even in that relationship, we're seeing some of these same tendencies going back to our first topic of even in these gay relationships, they are sort of reinserted into this protective masculine feminine binary. You know, I will say, I think one thing that we can take away as sort of a trope in both TV shows Uh is that high school teachers are people too. Yes. I think, I think that in both shows, we get to see, you know, a little bit more of their personal lives and, and the inner workings of their own interpersonal relationships with each other. Um, which is refreshing. Uh, sure. Yeah. I mean, a little, um, as you said before, Mr. Schuster is a little weird. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I think I, I interpret it from glee as an attempt to catch a wider demographic Yeah, that, you know, it's not just a high school show and that way they can garner a wider audience. Mm -hmm. Whereas with sex education, I, I don't perceive it to be that way. And even I guess outside of teacher, but I guess Jean does sort of become a teacher in some ways. But, you know, when we see Jean and Jakob's relationship, Uh we are getting that older person or even when Jean is like, you know, doing her thing, um, you know, we are getting a look into that. I think more so just because the show wants to explore some of these different dynamics Mm -hmm. and, and, and how they relate to sexual experiences or whatever like the two teachers who struggle with um, talking dirty to each other. Um, And so I think that is one difference I perceive in the two shows that I still think that sex education is aimed at a younger demographic, um, but opts to feature some of these other age group relationships or dynamics just for the purpose of, you know, visibility yeah yeah I would agree and I think in sex education the teacher dynamics and um you know parent dynamics are a little less um you know a primary storyline mm-hmm. um what I think is interesting with the teachers in Glee um especially with like coach Ken mm-hmm. um and Sue Sylvester is that they kind of revert back to like high school selves in that they like really hone in on like herd mentality and like well like I am the cheerleader coach so I am better than you and they really like really lean into like high school social hierarchies and um it comes off as a little immature totally and I think that kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier of you think of these like heroes of the teachers that are high school teachers because they can offer a fresh perspective to the kids that they don't have to be (laughs) contained to the social hierarchy. And yet you have some other teachers that are like, let's go social hierarchy (laughs) work. (laughs) (laughs) And that they are also themselves totally like buying into it. And I even you know, I'm getting a little off topic here. I totally had a a teacher in high school that like got enjoyment out of feeling like as if she was still in high school. And I feel that we definitely see See that in, in, in some of the glee teachers. Yeah. 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 Um, 
Well, I was actually just going to ask you in comparison to, and you know, in comparison to your personal high school experience mm-hmm. versus what we see um, in these two shows that kind of cover a array of high school students, mm-hmm. how do you feel? <laughs> how do I feel that they map onto my lived experience? Yeah, yeah. Um, to be honest, I don't think that either of them are particularly <laughs> applicable to my own. Yeah, to um, really stick there with you. <laughs> not totally, but I do think um, sex education is probably a bit closer just because even at my high school, like football, cheerleaders, yeah. all of that wasn't really a thing mm-hmm. or like that wasn't where the social hierarchy was centered around. Right. Um, and so I think that in that way, I resonate more with the Americanized British environment of sex education, as opposed to this very stereotypically American for sure jocks, cheerleaders environment. Yeah. Um, You know, I I will say though, I was involved in theater and drama in high school. So in that way, maybe I do identify more with the Glee Club. Club. And I do feel like in some ways, the the kids of my drama and theater experience like were informed by glee there you go do, do you know what i'm saying no, like yeah, they yeah, yeah. like they were kids that loved glee yeah. and then and then, and then, and then also then. felt called towards doing drama and theater that is um, funny how that plays out <laughs> so i do think that in some ways glee you know created the the young stars of my high school <laughs> Well, that's amazing. (laughs) Um, Also, just kind of going backtracking a little bit, but what I think is interesting in Glee is like also in costume, Mm -hmm. status is kind of reinforced. So cheerleaders and jocks are always wearing their cheerleader or like- It's a symbol of status. Yeah, Mm -hmm. or jersey, um, which I don't think you see in, like I didn't see that in my my high school. Nope. Um, But what's, the reason why I asked is because what stuck with me is this idea that is prevalent in both shows of characters kind of just wanting to fit into this normal Mm -hmm. category Mm -hmm. um so that they are socially accepted yeah um I think definitely runs true in real life I think that that is in a lot of ways what defines the the experience of being in high school Mm -hmm. and in middle school being a young adult is just trying to fit in yeah and I think as we have discussed time and time again I think that is a very real experience um and that's then reflected in the tv shows that we watch but then in a lot of ways these tv shows really reinforce that you know that that then becomes the reality of course yeah and you know even like for example this trope of blonde popular girl is so pervasive Mm -hmm. throughout film and television and i i understand that so many different things uh, feel arbitrary but I feel like of all things hair color is so arbitrary and yet it it is so pervasive in the way that we understand like the popular girl and like what we see as beautiful or totally yeah and it it, it's yeah it is so pervasive that it is it's referenced in our day-to-day life like oh like you're like the blonde pretty girl Uh like totally yeah and I think that it like you know, social hierarchies in high school are sort of this unspoken thing mm-hmm. of everyone sizes each other up and then, you know, things start to take shape as, okay, we've, we've 
all collectively decided in an unspoken way that you are our most popular person. <laughs> and in some ways that's dictated by something as arbitrary as, as hair color. For sure, for sure. And also, um, I think like what these television shows also kind of perpetuate is like these clicks. So rather than kind of integrating um, into many groups, um, there's definitely this idea that um, run bleeds into real life that like you are part of this one group and one category and that will define you. So like you are the cheerleader group and you are the like math mathletes. Mm -hmm. I don't know. And it, um, it's like, it's like High School Musical. It is like, I was thinking that. I know. <laughs> um, I will say this actually leads quite nicely into something that I wanted for us to talk about, which yeah. is, you know, okay, so let's, let's talk about these cliques and, and how being friends with one group of people is mutually exclusive with being friends, friends. with other people. Yeah. And in sex education, we do see character Amy, who is like bestie to Maeve, but also bestie to the popular group. group right, right, right. Um, she does sort of walk the line between uh -huh. being friends with both. And yet on either side, they are sort of enemies with each For other. Sure. But Amy definitely does have to be strategic with the instances where her and Maeve interact yeah. because it's not a good look. Yeah, and you know? she even meets with Maeve secretly. Exactly. So that it doesn't like, you know, hinder her reputation. Exactly, exactly. And ultimately, you know, Amy decides that Maeve is a better friend and mm -hmm. sides with Maeve. But even the fact that she has to publicly tell her popular girlfriends that she is now going to be friends with Maeve. Right in and of itself kind of reiterates the like, you could only be friends with certain people. And just the idea of, you know, reputation by association yes. is pervasive in both of these TV shows. Yeah. Even again with Amy, as soon as Adam gets this, um, you know, bad reputation of big penis, <laughs> yeah. then she's like, I can't, I can't, I can't. have that on my reputation. Yeah, I cannot exactly. have that on my look. <laughs> like I need to find a new boyfriend. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's also a major question for Finn on Glee is just say. who do I want to associate myself with popular girl Quinn or Glee club, Rachel, <laughs> and how yeah. do I follow my heart? How do I stay true to myself? And who do I be with? Yeah. And even at the end of season one, we see all the Glee Club members being like, well, after regionals is over, like Puck isn't going to talk to me or like mm -hmm. Santana or whatever. And um, just that idea that, um, yeah, association defines. And that because in high school, you're in this contained ecosystem <laughs> where all of your relationships, whether that be like a romantic relationship or your friendships are on display for yes. others to assess mm -hmm. and to then create some idea of who they think you are. Yeah. Yeah. And I just think I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just like thinking about this. I'm thinking about all the high school shows and mm -hmm. movies I've watched. Yeah. 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 And these, and this idea just runs so true in all of them that I think what's kind of nice about this kind of genre of like high school entertainment mm -hmm. is that it's kind of predictable mm -hmm. um like mean girls we have rachel mcadams who is the star blonde popular girl right and then glee club we have quinn blonde popular girl and the rest kind of falls into place and i think that a lot of this kind of 
genre we're talking about here today is that the story I don't want to say like oh it's predictable in a bad way but we Mm -hmm. kind of know where these tropes will lead us and we know where everyone kind of is placed and you know I think that because this is a you know tale as old as time of this high school dynamic like TV shows are trying to become more and more creative with Mm -hmm. the ways that they can differentiate themselves while still playing within these tropes to a certain extent and I think that again, for its time, Glee was doing that. Yeah. Glee was oh, for sure. was approaching this high school ecosystem in a creative way yeah. um, that now feels so like played out and sanitized. Right. <laughs> um, and then sex education, a, a new creative approach to a similar set of characters, exactly. yeah. um, but in a unique and fun and entertaining way where we feel like there's some familiarity because sure. it's a, it, these are these stories that we've been seeing for years and years and years, but we're excited to see what they do differently with it. Yeah. And I think even like a show like Euphoria, another great example where right. it, it in so many ways is this like stereotypical, stereotypical high school TV show, but they are totally trying new things creatively mm-hmm. with the story, with the fashion, with the makeup, yeah. with the characters and exploring different storylines you know while still sort of playing within some of these familiar these tropes yeah yeah and who knows like you said at the beginning of this podcast like maybe in 10 years we'll see another show that also plays into what we know as an audience um of this kind of genre but then kind of pushes the limits in other ways and you know I think that when you try and think of like all of these tv shows are so the same and 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 are they really like a clear depiction of what high school is quote unquote really like? Which yeah. again, we can only speak on our own experiences. Um, but no one wants to see what high school really no, looked like. Yeah. Like we want to see this amplified, kind cranked of exaggerated, up, exaggerated yeah. version of theatrical it because it's <laughs> because it's more entertaining. Yeah, exactly. Wrapping up a bit here, we've talked about representations of queer teenagers, um, portrayals of sexual encounters, and then um, just now, lastly, high school tropes and clique dynamics. You know, I think it's important looking at the greater implications of these television shows and um, just the teen genre in general that we've been talking about um, is that media plays such a big part in how audience members develop and create their own sense of identity, um, sexual identity, gender identity, whatever, whatever it is, their place in school or outside of. And so I think it's important that when we're talking about these shows, um, we're kind of, um, we're bringing a sense of awareness about thinking more critically. And and you touched on this in the beginning about how when we see Glee now, we have more of an, we have more of a clear consciousness about the world around us. So we mm-hmm. can kind of analyze it more deeply. Right, right, right. Um, and I think just moving forward to continue to analyze shows like Sex Education and Glee and what that means for how people in society are kind of creating a sense of self, if that makes sense. You know, and also, you know how they say that you can't 
analyze history for like 50 years or right. something. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't think that we have enough space from sex education, from euphoria, from mm-hmm. our more recent high school TV shows in order to be able to more objectively assess right, right. the shows. Whereas a show like Glee, especially going back to the beginning mm-hmm. and really feeling sort of how dated it is. Yeah. I feel that we do have this space to sort of look at it, yes, through our our current lens, but with a slightly more objective understanding of its positioning in, you know, the discourse of the time and what it means to us now. Yeah. Um, I think kind of going back to what I was saying earlier about the general formula Mm -hmm. of a sex education episode centered around our main characters and Otis, you know, helping whoever person or couple with whatever issue. Mm-hmm. Um, on the flip side, Glee also has a bit of a formula that I think we can briefly discuss, um, which is sort of centered around music. Yeah, for sure. It you know, they always find a funny way of working whatever <laughs> issue is going on With into the, the musical <laughs> stylings of the Glee Club. Yeah. And, you know, they are no stranger to a serenade of the hallways oh no no you know where yeah. they are sort of breaking the fourth wall and really like performing to the camera. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm curious to know your thoughts on you know just how that musical aspect plays into the story of Glee and how you feel episode to episode these performances that are also um accompanied by the visuals of the situations that they map onto for sure um like what you make of that um so you know, I can't lie. At first, I was like, this is a bit cheesy. Mm-hmm. And some songs, I would say, like, you know, maybe Mr. Schuster shouldn't have sang. Um, and But I think, like, part of the cheesiness is that it's, like, exaggerated and theatrical, and that's, like, kind of the name of the game here. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, as you watch it more, you kind of it just starts to feel more natural and a lot of the songs play into the storyline as you were saying so like when they sing Madonna after Quinn like recommends that they sing Madonna because of like what it means to be a woman and all mm-hmm. that it, it 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 flows well and it um it, it is kind of it's fun sure and I think that maybe situation to situation yeah. there are instances where the song kind of wraps things up a little too nicely or glosses over some really like important emotion that's happening. Mm -hmm. And I also think that there are some situations where the song really adds new meaning to Mm -hmm. the situation Mm -hmm. or like is really emphasizing whatever emotion that character is experiencing in their real life scenario. For sure. Um, But I, like I said, I think that there are situations or it's case by case with Glee, whether or not I felt like the song was adding to the story or if it was just kind of glossing over something that that maybe they could have explored um in more detail with dialogue yeah sometimes I felt and I and I feel this way about a lot of like popular media when they kind of just like play a pop song to kind of like forget the storyline or whatever is being discussed and so some sometimes I definitely felt like 
whatever song they were performing was kind of a way of just being like, and here's like some entertainment to just like kind of hop over that issue and mm-hmm. ta-da. Um, um, whereas I feel like, yeah, some dialogue maybe would have done some real good in certain scenarios. So I'm also curious to know what you think in terms of sex education being a TV show that is both entertaining and also providing um, their viewer base with some new knowledge potentially. Yeah. Um, do you feel like TV shows for teens should be taking on this role of educating? Do you feel like most TV shows going forward should have their primary, you know, plot line, but also sprinkled in is some, some progressive stuff or some new knowledge or what I'm curious to know what you what what your take is on that wow that's a that's a really good good question um and I'm curious to know your thoughts after I share mine but um I would say to a degree education and entertainment is important but I think um digesting such sex education and taking everything for like their word would be um, maybe not the smartest thing. I think it's important that um, entertainment, yes, should be informative and and should be educational as sex education is. But, you know, sex education is also exaggerated mm-hmm. and one should also, you know, find other ways for knowledge rather than just... Um, a television show. Right. I think just to add, I feel like TV's primary purpose is entertainment. Yes. It's to maybe have some form of escape mm-hmm. from from real life. Yeah. But as we've talked about, there is real power in how we then understand our reality. Yes. Due to what we consume. And so I think in that way, walking the line or finding the right balance yes. of being this entertaining thing, but also um, finding ways to sprinkle in. I and that's I will say I think currently I do perceive sex sex education's sprinkling as genuine and non cheesy. Yes. You know, like and of course sometimes maybe it's a little <laughs> cheesy, but like I think for the most part, um, it feels it feels authentic and it fits it doesn't feel forced yeah yeah um and like it doesn't take away from the enjoyment of the main storylines or anything and if if anything I feel like as I've kind of already said I like that structure where we have this main story and our characters orbiting that main story while we also have peripheral characters and their stories also orbiting and rotating around that yeah yeah and I'll also say that for, I mean, this is why we made the podcast, right? Media, we talk about it all the time. Like we're constantly being like, oh, did you watch this show uh-huh. or blah, blah, blah. And I think sex education does a really good job of inspiring conversation. And I think that's really important. I don't mm-hmm. necessarily think like, oh, well, this show said this fact, so that must be true. But I think rather like this show talked about watching porn and I want to hear your thoughts on that so like sparking Mm -hmm. dialogue 
opening the conversation. Uh, yeah, and it's I really think important. that by these TV shows breaching those conversations, mm-hmm. it's a lot easier, as you're saying, to, for that to then inform the conversations that people have in real life. Yeah, and I think that it is pretty powerful that sex education has taken on this topic of sex, mm-hmm. which is notoriously, you know, failing in yes. the American <laughs> school system. 100%. Or I don't want to say, you know. No. but you get you get what I'm saying like this is an area that definitely could use a little help yeah and this is a digestible way for young people to get this this kind of information um and that it at the very least starts to remove some shame or discomfort around these topics yes like even for example the fact that um, in one of the episodes of sex education, a full on vagina, a photo uh-huh. is shown. And I feel like for, for kids or not kids, but <laughs> young for people, for young, young adults to see that kind of thing. And yes, the, the, the episode itself discusses some like shame or discomfort around vaginas. Yeah. Um, but like us even just being shown those images or having conversations about mm-hmm something like the vagina yeah is is. immediately removing some of the discomfort or the shame or the awkwardness around those kinds of topics exactly yeah I would say like I'm happy that this show that we have this show now but I wonder while I was watching it if we had had this show in high school Mm -hmm. um what that would have been like and even being in college I feel like I was I felt so happy to to see these stories and and to feel like you know, it's, it's, it's cool to talk about these <laughs> it topics is cool and it's important. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, again, going back to this sort of like eighties aesthetic of sex education, we've definitely seen a resurgence of eighties trends in fashion, yeah. in music, in all these different things. Like eighties is really having a moment in the last few years. Yeah. And so I think that they were also, so um like opportune in their timing of packaging what they had to say in this really like vibrant colorful fun 80s aesthetic yeah um because it also makes it so that kids it's are young lighthearted. yeah and yeah. and young people are like oh i want to be just like them yeah 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 i would agree whereas whereas in glee i think I don't know about you, but I don't feel like I want to be like them. <laughs> no, whether it's whether it's the Glee Club or the cheerleaders or the jocks no. or the teachers, I don't really feel like I, anything about them is super aspirational. No. Other than maybe like being, you know, embracing who you are as a person. But I, I, and you know what? Maybe that also just has to do with my own like personal experience. I'm sure a lot of people felt really seen by some of the characters in Glee. 100%. Yeah, yeah. I feel the same way that you do. I also think it's really important, um, and I you see this in both shows, but I think I'd argue you see it more in sex education, um, is characters that are just really confident in who they are and obviously, like, going through some, you know, questioning as they're, like, maybe they're not, like, completely sure of themselves, so they go to Otis for some consultants and whatnot, but I think it's really important to see these young adults being confident in who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But, you know, this, I think this brings up an interesting topic that I was wanting to actually discuss, which is, again, thinking about some of these other high school shows like Euphoria, for example. Uh-huh. You know, I've heard the common complaint, and I, I can agree with this to a certain extent, that it feels almost unrealistic how um, there isn't a, a shred of insecurity <laughs> in those characters. I, uh, the way that, yes. like, insecurity plagues the lives of high schoolers yeah you know at least for the most part I think that that is a a a generally true statement yeah um and I think that it's interesting to try and think about how we want our tv shows to again reflect (laughs) our reality and create our reality in in a way that is positive and and forward thinking Mm -hmm. but that it also needs to feel realistic in some ways yeah and so at least for me I feel like euphoria was so like out of reach of of my reality of high school yeah um so this idea of like portraying high school students as you know realistically uncomfortable but also confident in certain situations exactly I think um can help a lot of young people or like inspire young people to feel confident in a realistic way yeah and it seems human exactly as opposed to maybe euphoria's (laughs) unattainable confidence yes yeah exactly I think ultimately the big takeaway for me kind of where we started and where I feel like we will finish is just it's interesting to think about how Glee has aged, Mm -hmm. how sex education will age, Mm -hmm. and how the shows of the future will look. Yeah. And, you know, signing off, um, I think it's interesting that we continue to think about kind of this predictable formula Mm -hmm. and how it's familiar and comfortable and fun to watch, um, but also continuing to challenge... um, how it plays out with tropes and certain characters. So now I will say thank you, Phoebe, for being my co-host on this beautiful show of Media Matchup. Media Matchup. Gigi, it has been an honor and a pleasure. And a privilege. And a privilege to have co-hosted this podcast with you and to share it with our lovely listeners. Yep. Um, and you know it's bittersweet it is bittersweet (laughs) it's the grand finale finale. to a trifecta yes exactly uh so the trilogy ends the trilogy (laughs) ends thanks for tuning in to media matchup